I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. All right, welcome back. At the top of our two o'clock hour, the second of two hours, Marty Carpenter sitting in for Boyd Matheson. Uh, it's great to be here. I've been here a couple of times, but uh, to make sure we're on the same page. You know a little bit about me. I've been in the Utah political scene for the last uh, 15 years or so. I was Governor Herbert's spokesman and director of communication. I ran the Herbert 2016 campaign. I've worked a senior position in the last three gubernatorial campaigns. Very interested in all things politics, all things political messaging. And it's great to have the opportunity to be with you all today and talk through some of these issues going on. You know, we talked in our very first segment of the show an hour ago uh, about the Georgia Senate runoff that will bring a conclusion, some would say a merciful conclusion, to the midterm craziness. It will almost be officially behind us uh, by this time tomorrow, we think, knock on wood. Uh, but we can look clearly at Congress uh, that Amer- that the American people have voted for and have a little bit better understanding, I guess, of where we are as a country, or at least how things shake out after a midterm election. We've got Republicans holding a relatively slim majority in the House. We've got Democrats holding control of the Senate by the slimmest of margins. So Americans have essentially voted for a divided government, which I think makes sense considering people say that we are sort of a divided country. I don't know that we're as divided in everyday issues as we are when we get onto the political battlefield. Uh, but at least our government will be divided. The Congress will be divided uh, over the next uh, two years at least. So what are the pros and cons of division? And you know, We talked in an earlier segment about the, the United Kingdom and some of the struggles they're going through and mentioned they've gone through three prime ministers in the last seven weeks. Their system's so different than ours in that the party that wins or that can build a coalition government and win is in control, and they can put their policies into place. And so you get a real whiplash when you have a switch from one party in power to another. That has been the case in the United States more recently, uh, going back you know, to the start of really this century, uh, when we would have kind of these these wild shifts and a, a strong majority for Democrats uh, when Barack Obama was elected president, and then corrections in midterms to put another party in charge of at least one part of Congress. And so you have these kind of whips back and forth, and now I guess one of the pros to divided government is that 
the pro is that you don't get the whiplash. The con is that not as much as getting done. Uh, the real benefit, if you want to look at it as a half glass full, is that members of Congress should have to work together across party lines in order to get anything done. I want to welcome in uh, J.D. Tuchili. He is a contributing editor at Reason.com, talking a little bit about this idea of divided government. So, J.D., thanks for spending some time with us today. My pleasure. So what are the results of this most recent election tell you? Whiplash, divided government, uh, what, what, what are we looking at for the next two years from your perspective? Well, I think what the, uh, what the results tell us is that we have a divided Congress for the good reason that we have a divided country. I mean, Americans, if you, say, if you ask them, do they want Congress doing something, do they want the federal government to be, you know, to be engaged in passing legislation, they always say, yeah. But the thing is, they don't all want the same thing. And in fact, they're diametrically opposed. And Americans, when you poll them about their opinions of the other political tribe, you know, Democrats and Republicans, they really, really strongly dislike each other, more so by the year. Um, so when we see the results in Congress of this kind of a sharp divide, you know, a bare majority in the House for Republicans and a bare majority in the Senate for Democrats, what we're seeing is, is the Congress, you know, the legislature reflecting the American people themselves. It's a huge vote of lack of confidence in both major parties because the American people as a whole or even a, a significant majority are not invested in either of those major parties. And so we end up with a Congress that's where the American people are themselves, kind of frozen, kind of at odds with itself. And that's probably the best we can hope for right now. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's uh, been one of those ironic elements of politics that people tend to dislike Congress, but like their congressman, to dislike the Senate, but like their senator. What do you think is driving the current massive unpopularity of Congress now? And is it really worse than it has been in years past? Uh, or is it just sort of a change in perception? Well, it, it is worse. I mean, it's worse than um, I mean, it's not that we, it hasn't been worse in, in American history. It has. But you got to go back um, to the 19th century. The fact is, Congress right now um, is dominated by two political parties, which to be a little flippant, but also to be accurate, are nuts. Um, and that's because the American people themselves are more than a little bit batty. Um, Americans, um, on the one hand, endorse kind of insane um, economic theories. They want the government um, intervening in life and, and handing them free stuff in a variety of ways. And the other tribe is obsessed about um, a fantasy of, of a stolen election and is backward-looking and very grievance-driven. Um, and when you have two political parties that represent the American people very accurately in this sense, which is why people tend to be happy with their specific representative but not happy with Congress as a whole, 
you end up with a nutty Congress. And it's good then, since the major parties are themselves more than a bit nuts, it's good that they have each other at a standstill. It keeps them from doing, honestly, much damage. They're not going to do much good, but they weren't going to do good anyway. We saw that when the Democrats dominated Congress and the presidency the last two years. And the American people overall ended up very unhappy with the consequences. They didn't turn to the Republicans as the cavalry to save them because the Republicans themselves are not a very attractive alternative. And so we do have a divided government that will kind of will give us gridlock, will freeze Congress in place and will at least give us a breather until we figure out what we want as a people, um, which, of course, is never going to be unified, or at least until we can minimize the damage that our government does to us. So how can that congressional gridlock be a positive for the country? Is there any glass half full way to look at that? Well, the positive is that it keeps Congress from uh, keeps the federal government uh, and minimizes the damage that it does. So, if we take it for granted that neither of these major parties is especially poised um, to do good, um, that the things they want may well be perceived as damaging by much of the country, and in fact, can be damaging, as we see. We you know we look at the uh, shambles of our economy around us right now. Um, getting con- you know, getting Congress stuck in gridlock at least reduces the damage it does. So if you can't do good, at least do no harm. And we have right now a do no harm uh, results, at least at the legislative level. Now, the caveat with this is that over the, the generations, we've also empowered the presidency. And the fact is the president can do an awful lot, much more than the founders ever intended unilaterally through memoranda and executive orders. So we don't have full gridlock. The presidency is going to be um, tempted, you know, Joe Biden and his, and his um, aides are going to be tempted to act unilaterally to try to do a lot of things on their own through executive orders. Um, and there's not much we can do to stop that. But Congress itself at least won't be participating in doing that damage, and executive orders are easier to undo than legislation. Well, it is an interesting time politically in our country for sure, and a divided Congress brings with it the positives and the negatives. And uh, I guess the nice part is in two years we get to do it all over again. Uh, J.D. Tuchili is a uh, contributing editor at Reason.com. J.D., thanks so much for being with us this afternoon. Thank you for having me on. You take care. All right, coming up, a new semiconductor plant is going to be built in Arizona. What could that mean for U.S. manufacturing and our future relations with China? A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.